Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Couples Healing Podcast. This is Sam Tielemans, and I'm excited for today's episode because this is something that comes up in my office so often, and I felt like it would be worth doing a podcast to help explain more about why he can say that he loves her, his wife or partner, yet still return to the addiction. So many people that I work with have such a difficult time being able to make sense out of why this happens. Husbands will say to themselves, I love my wife, yet I keep falling back into this old pattern. This addiction pulls me back in and I hate it. Or the wife will think, well, if he really does love me, how can he be looking at something or someone else? If he cares about me, then why does he keep doing this behavior that hurts me so much? And so I want to explain a little bit about why that's the case. And this is honestly something that comp- I want to share with you something that I learned at a, a I'm obsessed, a quick little sidebar. I'm obsessed with going to trainings and workshops and learning, and I love reading. And there's so many different modalities that I've been trained in just because I'm obsessed with finding how, the fastest way to help people. And if you've been following, following me for any length of time, you know that I've shared this stat of how so many people in the traditional recovery space think that it takes three to five years to overcome an addiction. And I remember when I got started, I thought like, that is just like, who wants to be doing this for three to five years of struggling? When I say this, I mean struggle and nothing but focus and effort. And it consumes people's lives for so long. I don't know anybody who wants to do it for that long. So I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I've branched out to doing other modalities and trainings that are outside of the addiction world. And then I've brought these tools back into it. And again, this is why sometimes people ask, well, why is, why is the, the work that I do, why is it 12 weeks long? Why do I have a, a 12-week program instead of doing like a 12-month program? And the reason is because of what I'm going to share with you right now. And so I went to a workshop. This has been years now. I went to a workshop that completely changed how I understood and how I thought about addiction. And so while I was there at this workshop, again, this was not in the, the recovery space. And I went to this uh, seminar where the, the mentor, my mentor was talking about why people struggle with certain kinds of behaviors. Why do we do what we do? And he used this example of this elephant. He says, there's two parts of our mind. There's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And so I didn't really, I'm, and I've heard the word unconscious mind before. I didn't really have an understanding of what it was. And he said, these two parts of the mind function differently. And essentially what happens is that the unconscious mind is our habits and our beliefs, our thought patterns, our behavioral patterns. It's basically what we do without thinking about something. Unconscious, in other words, is something that's outside of our awareness, yet it's still happening. He said over 90% of what we do as human beings is unconscious. And then he listed off a few different things. He says our heart beats unconsciously. We blink unconsciously. Once you, rec- once you have integrated a habit or uh, some kind of a behavior like walking or driving or eating, we do all of these things unconsciously or in other words, without any effort and without any thought. And the reason why we have an unconscious mind is because it takes so much energy, mental energy, to learn a new skill. You have to be completely focused. You have to put in all of your effort and attention to trying to develop a new skill. But then once you learn the skill, 
we can't just be thinking that the unconscious mind saves us energy and time. And so anything that we learn goes to the background. So we just can do it automatically. Again, when I'm walking around, I don't think about how to walk or when I'm driving or eating or breathing, any of this stuff I don't think about because our mind has made it like our, the human mind, the brain is amazing. And so for it to be able to have a system by which we can still function and do everything that we need to do without expending additional energy and resources on the tasks that we already know, it's, it's phenomenal. So we have this brain power and additional focus that we can just divert our attention to learning new things or focusing on what we want to do instead of thinking about all the stuff that's going on in the background. And so he says, again, there's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And he said that the goal setter is the conscious mind and the goal getter is the unconscious mind. And I thought this was interesting. And then he used this example of an elephant. He said, imagine you have a rider on top of the elephant and then the elephant itself. He said the conscious mind is is relatively, it's it's like 5% of what we do as people, 5 to 10%. There's a, a researcher by the name of Dr. Bruce Lipton. He says it's about 95% is unconscious mind, 5% is conscious. So essentially the unconscious mind is the supercomputer that's constantly running and it's doing most of what we're doing throughout the day. It's guiding that without us even thinking about it. So he said, imagine you have a rider on top of this massive elephant and the rider has these reins and you can take the reins and steer the elephant off course. Let's say there's a trail. Like if you go on a tour, I just think about if you go on like a tour, I remember I went to, I used to work for an airline. So I got to super cheap flights. And one of the places that I wanted to go forever was Thailand. And so I went to Thailand and I had, I had the chance to ride an elephant and I'm sitting on top of this little basket on this massive creature and it's trained to walk in a big circle around this facility. So nobody has to tell it where to go. It's just so broken in that it does just what it's trained to do. So my mentor in this, in this seminar said, imagine sitting on top of this elephant and you have the reins, you can steer the elephant off course for a period of time. But then eventually the elephant, if you let go of the reins, the elephant is going to go right back to doing what it's trained to do. It's going to walk those same paths, whether you want it to or not. You can guide it off course for a moment, but if you get tired tugging at the elephant and going this way and you, you put in all your energy, right? The little rider is using all of its energy to guide the elephant away, but then the elephant, of course, will win the day because it's so much bigger and more powerful so eventually the rider can get tired. He lets go of the reins. The elephant goes right back to the track that it's used to walking. He said that this is exactly what the conscious and unconscious mind, the relationship is between the two. Conscious mind sets the goal. The unconscious mind is the, it's, it's like our programming. And when I say the word programming, what I mean specifically is it's our beliefs, our values, our thought patterns, our behavioral patterns, our habits. Like that's our programming. That's just what we do, right? That's how we see things. That's how we see the world. That's how we see ourselves. All of that is unconscious. We're not thinking about that stuff, but that's always operating. And so as you're listening to this, you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with addiction? It has everything to do with addiction. And here's why. As I was listening to him speak, this light bulb came on for me when he said the conscious mind sets the goal. And you can relate, relate this to addiction. Conscious mind says, or you make this decision in the moment, I will never go back to the addiction. I am done with it. I don't want to do this anymore. It's wrecking my life, my family, my spouse. I am over this. I, I will never go back to this addiction. 
consciously you set that goal. But unfortunately, what happens is if the unconscious mind, or in other words, the programming does not have the program to sustain that goal, you will not achieve the goal. This is why people struggle in addiction for so long is because they consciously set this goal, then they use all of their willpower and discipline and effort to try to steer the elephant off course. When the elephant, again, is the subconscious mind, it's the programming, it's used to walking the path going back towards addiction. And so if I take all of my energy and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the computer today, or I'm not going to do this thing, or I'm not going to look at that person. I'm not going to like, you're just resisting the elephant. If your programming is such that leads you back to the behavior, if your thought patterns and beliefs and habits go back to the addiction, eventually you will find yourself back struggling with the same behavior that you consciously told yourself you would not turn back to again. When my mentor taught this, there was a light bulb that went off that has completely transformed what I thought was possible in this healing process. Because the traditional methods will often, it's like the focus in these traditional methods is willpower, discipline, trying to develop healthy habits, doing all these things that are so surface level that they never get to the unconscious programming. And it's so important, again, if you followed any of these podcasts that, that we've been doing so far, it's important that you recognize that addiction is it's an unhealthy way to cope. It's a way to numb out how bad somebody feels. Sex is just such a powerful way to trigger endorphins and the feel-good chemicals or, or, or hormones of dopamine, oxytocin, these other feel-good endorphins. So when somebody feels bad or they get rejected or they feel like they've failed or they're not good enough, or they get in a fight with somebody that's important to them, it creates an immense amount of pain internally. And they start to then turn to the thing that they're used to turning to, which might be sex or pornography, or for some people it's alcohol or drugs, or it can be mindlessly scrolling Facebook or food. There's a million ways that we, co- that we cope. There's a million ways that we, that we numb out how bad we feel. And so when somebody has in their programming turning to pornography or sex, it's, this, it's the chemicals that are released that pull you out of this experience of pain. And so I want to give you three examples of people that I've worked with. And one, one's more of a general example of most people that I work with to help you kind of see what I mean to kind of put some, uh, it's helpful to see some examples to see how this works. I remember working with somebody And he struggled with his addiction because he felt this just feeling of worthlessness. And he felt like, and and so the first thing that I do when I start to work with somebody new, my primary goal is we've got to understand what is the core of why this person struggles. I'm understanding what's the programming. We have to delve into the unconscious mind to uncover why does he do what he do, what he does. And so as I asked him, Okay, help me understand this the, the addiction. What's happening? What are some triggers? What goes on mentally in terms of your thought process that leads you there? What are the behavioral patterns that go along with it? Really, I'm just trying to, like we do this deep dive where I ask, I'm asking so many questions. It's like for 45 to 60 minutes, I'm doing just nothing but digging. And not in a really painful way. It's just in a matter of curiosity, right? We're not having to dig up and drudge up all the pain of, of somebody's past and go through all the details 
That's not necessary. I'm just trying to understand what's causing all of this behavior. What does this all hinge on? And I think about like a, a funnel, right? At the top of the funnel, there's a big, there's, it, it's much, much bigger. But then as you funnel down, there's a very small little spigot. There's the output that's very small. Usually this is what happens for most people is that there's a lot of symptoms, right? There's lots of scenarios and situations and triggers and, and things on the surface, but they all funnel down to one or two core things that drives everything else. And so it was for this person. As we worked together, he started to talk about how he just felt this like feeling of worthlessness or not being good enough. And I started to ask, okay, when does that happen? What triggers that feeling? And he explained to me, after lots of question and answer, he explained to me that ultimately this idea of worth in his mind was connected to productivity and what he could do for other people. And then he explained to me that the reason why, so sometimes people wonder, okay, well, how did this, we talk about programming in the unconscious mind. So where does this come from? Our programming is created oftentimes when we're young and it happens through our experiences our interactions with other people, or even ourself. And so for him, he remembers being about seven years old at his grandma's house, and he sees this fan that spins, it oscillates back and forth. You know those fans, right? The fan was broken, and he was very curious as a seven-year-old, and he went in, he started tinkering with it, and he somehow figured out how to get it working. And I have no idea how he did this, because there's no way I could, as an adult, 35-year-old adult, couldn't figure this out myself. So he figured it out somehow as a seven-year-old, and his grandma was there watching him and said, honey, that's amazing. I can't believe that you did that. None of your uncles could figure out how to do that, but you did. That is phenomenal. In that moment, the seed was planted and it was completely unintentional, right? It was the grandma trying to be very encouraging and supportive and loving, which is awesome. We want compliments, of course. But somehow the young seven-year-old his mind as a seven-year-old takes that information and then starts to make sense of it and says to himself, and it's again, it's not a conscious thing. It happens just very subtly, but he walked away from that and then other experiences as it got reinforced that he gets acceptance when he does something, when he produces something, when he does some kind of a service, when he's, when he's doing something for somebody else or, or productive then he feels acceptance and worth. In an instant, again, the subconscious mind takes that thought and learning happens in an instant, right? It's, it's this light bulb moment. We've all had those moments where you're trying to understand something and then it's like, again, they call it a light bulb moment because something mentally just goes on and there's a click and things sink into place. There's like a flash of inspiration. The same thing happens to us when we're learning when we're young. These little seeds get planted very subtly and then it just becomes a part of how we see the world and how we see ourselves. And so how does this relate to addiction? So for him, when he started to feel like he wasn't productive or he wasn't serving enough or he wasn't doing enough, he was constantly being driven to always be in motion. And whatever he wasn't, he couldn't take a break. He said, I want to go on a vacation with my family. I want to go hunting with my son. But I'm sitting there in the grass waiting for the animal or the deer. And I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here right now. I should be back at work. I should be back at home. There's so many projects that I need to complete. This constant nagging, gnawing feeling because his belief on his programming level was if I'm not producing, then I'm not worth anything. 
as a result of this overwhelm, it creates this stress for him. And then he starts to feel like he's losing his value. And then in those moments of feeling weighed down and it starts to eat as, at his self-esteem and it really affects him mentally and emotionally, it's in those moments that he turns to the addiction because he was, he was exposed when he was young to pornography. And as a result of him feeling bad when he was young, if he ever felt like he was, wasn't doing a good job or wasn't being a good kid or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, if he didn't feel like he was okay, that would be such an easy escape for him. And then through time, through repetition, that just gets built in. So then it just happens automatically without him having to think about it. So this is important. I wanted to use this example because how we develop these beliefs, it comes from so many different places, but we have to first understand what these beliefs are. And once we do understand the beliefs, then we can do the work to shift them. And that's what we did. We focused on breaking these beliefs, helping them unlink. And again, on a deeper subconscious level, unlink the belief or his worth from productivity. And we can put it in its proper place and help him to really feel and internalize his worth comes from like it's independent of all this stuff. And he's a, he's a Christian. And so he says, well, my worth comes from God. It's independent of what I do or don't do. And again, consciously, he might've known this already, but we needed to sink it in on a deeper level. And once we did, the shift took place on that emotional subconscious level. And once the beliefs are changed, the desire, the desire for the addiction goes away. It's not something you have to battle anymore because you change the, the you change how he sees and experiences things on the core level. So no longer does he need to turn to pornography to feel better. He was able to unlink this, unlink those things on a deeper level so that there was no more tug of war internally. I want to share with you one more example here. This uh, I've worked with so many clients with this particular example where when they're young, they just don't feel like they fit in. They feel like they're not good enough or people don't like them or their parents aren't there for them emotionally so they don't get the support that they need. And our parents play a critical role to help us build our self-esteem. Self-esteem is a misnomer, right? We talk about self-esteem. It should come from our self. But the reality is that self-esteem is built within relationships first. There's a researcher who has done decades worth of researcher by the name of John Bowlby. He talks about how in our, in our primary significant early relationships, we start to see ourselves the way that we're treated by ultimately it's our parents in the beginning. So if mom and dad are very accepting and loving and compassionate and understanding, and we can talk about how we feel and we do a good job and they praise us. And if we, we make a mistake, there's not harsh criticism or punishment. They help us understand and make, and make corrections. We see ourselves in a very positive way. If our parents see us negatively and they're always on our case and critical, and then we, we constantly feel like we're failing, we absorb that and feel like it's us. There's something wrong with us, that I'm flawed or I'm a bad kid. And this is how it was for the client that I was working with. And again, so many other clients. So when he was young, not feeling like he measured up, feeling like he was constantly letting his parents down or other people down and not fitting in. Again, he was exposed to pornography when he was very young, which was a very easy escape for him as well. And so the behavior, again, the pattern is pornography is the, is, it's a very easy way to cope with pain. How somebody gets to that pain is different, right? There's different core beliefs that we all have. There's different programming, but ultimately it leads to a similar place. The last example that I'll share quickly 
is another client that I remember working with. Whenever he'd go to the gym or out at a restaurant or doing errands or wherever, he'd often scan wherever he was and be looking for or trying to catch or make eyes with another a woman there. And so the reason why he would often find himself doing this is because his belief underneath the surface, again, we're talking all, all this whole episode is about programming or in other words, these beliefs and ways of think, seeing things. His belief was if he got attention from another female, from another, from a woman, then that would tell him or send him the message that he is enough. So he'd be scanning the gym or the restaurant and if he made eyes with somebody and they looked back at him in a certain way where he could tell that they thought that he was attractive, in that moment he got this like, okay, I'm, I'm okay, this approval, this acceptance, this sense of being enough. And so the reason why he continued to do this is because it, it, it doesn't actually work, right? This is what I mean by that. Worth doesn't come from getting somebody else's attention. Worth, worth is completely separate from whether or not somebody thinks that you're attractive. It's completely separate. And so he would get this very small dose of acceptance or a, a, a false sense of acceptance. And for a moment, it would make him feel like I'm okay. But then very, very quickly that would fade. And then he would feel like he needed to do it again and find somebody else's attention. It was a hamster wheel because it didn't actually work. And so if you're listening to this and you say, well, if he's seeking approval or getting attention, sexual attention from somebody else and he thinks he's enough, well, that's ridiculous. Like that's, of course, that's not true. And so if you're thinking that, then yes, you're right. It isn't true. So he would constantly be seeking this external approval because that's what his programming had shaped him to do. When he was younger, he didn't get, he didn't feel like he fit in. But then there was one particular girl who gave him attention and was and did want to be with him. He instantly linked feeling accepted with sexual attention. So once that seed was planted, then it just got reinforced over time because that's just what he developed in terms of a belief. And so he would get stuck in this hamster wheel and it would affect him. It would affect him individually. It would affect his relationship. And his wife could not understand why he was looking at other people or why that mattered to him. She felt like she wasn't enough. And again, this is crucial because this belief of I need to get female attention to feel like I'm accepted is distorted. Like I mentioned earlier, worth doesn't come from there. And his wife could not understand why he kept doing that because she cared about him. She loved him. She wanted to spend time with him. She wanted him to look at her. And so there was a breakdown there. And so it's important to quickly note that in this particular case, the goal is to not only help him change his programming, to unlink that belief of attention equals worth, but to be able to help give him additional tools and skills to connect with his wife. Because a connection with another person, a real connection where they feel close, they can be open and vulnerable, and he can let in and take in and accept her efforts and be able to take in the love that she has for him, that's a skill set in and of itself. And so sometimes people get stuck in this place where the wife says, I'm available. I care about him. I want to have conversations. I want to spend time with him. I want to connect with him. But then he doesn't, he doesn't have the skill set or the tools to be able to actually let that in. And oftentimes it are the, it's these distorted beliefs about himself, about whether he's not worthy of it or he doesn't deserve it, or there's something wrong with him, or he's not good enough. There are some, there's some block 
that prevents him from being able to internalize the love that his wife has for him. And so that's a big part of the process as well as not only changing the programming, but giving him the tools to be able to share with her and to let in her, her sharing and her to let her in really on a deeper level. He, uh, he did not have those tools. And then we started to give him the, the way to be able to do that, which changed the relationship because she'd always been available and present and wanted to be with him, but he just, he didn't, he wasn't able to let that in. And so I hope that these examples have been helpful, right? There's millions of examples. I could go on and on sharing different examples and facets of how this forms. But essentially the point that I'm trying to make is that when we are young, we are, we have different experiences in life that shape how we see the world and ourself. It forms our programming. Again, the way that we see the world, our beliefs, our patterns, our values, our thought process, all of that is shaped by our experiences. And as a result, if there is a faulty set of beliefs or the programming is distorted, that is the thing that's going to pull somebody away from their goal back to an unhealthy behavior that they really don't want in their life. The purpose of this episode is to help you to to really explain this idea that when somebody has this set of programming and beliefs that take them back to the addiction, again, when I say beliefs, it's like, I feel like I'm unworthy. The addiction helps me feel like I'm not so bad or getting attention from somebody else makes me feel like I'm enough, right? These links between sex or pornography and what it means on it, like what it means to the person and the role that it plays. And when I say role, what I mean specifically is it, the role is it helps me numb out how bad I feel. Like that's, that's what I get from it. That's what some people will say, right? So the whole purpose of this episode is to help you understand that so many men struggle for years and years because of this split. The conscious mind says, I can't believe what I'm doing. What's wrong with me? I promised myself and my spouse I would never turn back to this, yet here I am again. I love her to death. And it it kills me to know that she's in pain because of what I'm doing. And then the subconscious mind, again, the programming, pulls them right back to it eventually. And then they, they get looped right back into this behavior, beat themselves up, destroy the trust, all because there is this separation between the conscious goal-setting part of their mind, but the subconscious does not yet have the programming to help them sustain and achieve that goal consistently and long-term. And so I want to leave you with this message of hope that it is 100% possible for you to be able to do this. Please know that so many people have gone before you, so many people will continue to make progress, and you can be one of those people where things change, you get the tools that you need, you can reverse and unlink and process through and get new beliefs. You can change all of these distorted patterns and beliefs that are bringing you back down this path that you don't want to be on. So I at least want to leave you with a message of hope. In terms of the how-to, that's a, I'll have to do another episode on the, on the process of that. But that's the whole goal of the, the work that I do with people is to help them create. And I'll have to do another episode with talking more about the how, right? Because the purpose of this episode is to help you guys both understand that it's 100% possible for, for him to say he loves her yet turn back to the addiction. And I hope that I've explained that clearly. And then I want you to know that it's 100% possible to change the reason why that happens. We can replace the programming. We can give you 
we can clear out these flawed or distorted beliefs or this thought pat these thought patterns or behavioral patterns you can create a new you can become a new person and you can do so in a way that doesn't have to take like years and years of your life once you can identify these core beliefs i guess this is a very short brief version of the how you identify the programming you identify the beliefs where these things split off what's causing the, whether it's this belief of not being enough or not being worthy, or there's something wrong with me or attention equals acceptance or like whatever these flawed views are of yourself, we identify those. And then there's some exercises that can help shift those and reprocess them. So you don't feel like you're captive to them anymore. You can replace them completely. So there's no more pull or tug of war. You become a new person. So I want you to know that again, the split is the reason why the split of the conscious and the unconscious the goal setter, the goal getter, if they're on different, pla- if, the, if you're on different paths, if those things do not align, then the addiction continues to have the power that it does because again, again, the elephant and the rider, the elephant has much more power. So we just want to work with it and change its course. So the rider doesn't have to continue to burn out and use all of his energy trying to fight against the path that the elephant is walking. So again, I hope this episode has been helpful that you can take reassurance and comfort knowing that it isn't a lack of love or a lack of caring or a lack of desire to overcome the addiction. The thing that completely changed my mind in terms of understanding this on a deeper level was this seminar and this little tidbit that I shared with you. So I hope this makes sense and I hope that it does give you hope that you truly can change and just simply aligning these two parts of yourself can make all of all of the difference in yourself individually and in your relationship to be able to create the the strength of the relationship that you've always wanted to have. So again, I hope this has been helpful. I really appreciate you being with me today. If this has been helpful, I'd love to hear your feedback, whether it's uh, uh, by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It helps me to get this out to other people. and also helps me to know if this is resonating with you. So thank you again for being with me. And I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care. Wait, before you go, I'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course I created. So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.